Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the latest findings about the way VIP security personnel are deployed in the country. We also take a quick look at Boris Johnson cancelling his visit to India. But first, we talk about anti-conversion laws. Madhya Pradesh is set to become the third BJP ruled state to pass a new anti-conversion law. The first two were passed by Uttar Pradesh and Himachal Pradesh. These laws in many ways make it more difficult for people to convert to a different religion. But before we talk more about them, let us first understand what exactly is the idea behind anti-conversion laws. So um I think the phrase when we say anti-conversion it appears as if the laws are designed to prohibit any sort of conversion uh but that's not the case That's Apurva Vishwanath and she reports on the law for the Indian Express In this segment we are speaking to her about anti-conversion laws So in India if you see almost 15 or more states have currently have anti-conversion laws and some date back to even the 1960s so these are all legislations that were enacted to basically penalize those who conduct or facilitate religious conversions by force fraud or inducement so these are essentially what you call forced conversions so these have been challenged in the supreme court and the supreme court has in principle upheld you know the validity of anti conversion laws that is laws that prohibit conversion through force fraud or other inducements so inducements can be anything ranging from you know we will give you some money or saying that if you don't convert the gods will punish you or you know any such thing so anti conversion laws broadly mean only relate to conversions by force or fraudulent they are not you know in reference to conversions uh, which are done consensually of your own free volition so there is legally nothing that can stop me from converting to another religion from mine if i want to do so no anti conversion law can stop me from doing that and apurva says that that is because article 25 of the constitution guarantees everyone the freedom of conscience and the right to freely profess practice and propagate religion this is a fundamental right but article 25 also has a small rider which says that this right is subject to public order health and other provisions of part 3 so this phrase public order is what the state says allows them to bring in laws to prohibit forced or fraudulent conversions because that is essentially a law and order issue or an issue that touches upon how the society functions at large so that's why the state says we have legitimate interest in curbing or criminalizing forced conversions but the anti conversion laws we talked about in the beginning the ones that have been passed by uttar pradesh and himachal pradesh and the one that madhya pradesh is going to pass are new and different from the ones that have existed so if you look at these laws the difference is that they go one step further and they require an individual to take prior permission from the state for conversion so like i said the laws that you already have in the country few from the 1960s and largely the rest came around 2000 and these laws only 
dealt with forced conversions. But what happens now is even for conversions of free will, individual conversions, these laws require the individual to take permission from the state. So you have to make an application before a district magistrate, declare your intention to convert, wait for 30 or 60 days, whatever the law stipulates, and then sort of go to a religious institution and have your religious conversion ceremony performed. And the other aspect is that it also puts an onus on the religious priest or the institution which is facilitating this conversion to also give notice to the state and then perform this. So this regularization or this bureaucratization of this process is what is the new addition, new feature of these laws. But this new aspect is what Apurva says touches upon the fundamental right given by the constitution that we talked about earlier. And to explain this, she gives the example of the Himachal Pradesh law. So in 2006, when Himachal enacted this first prior permission law, it was challenged before the High Court and this provision was struck down by a two-judge bench. And they struck it down because of two reasons. One, they said that you are violating a citizen's fundamental right to privacy when you ask him to declare his religion and then say that he is converting to another individually. Like if I'm doing it just for myself and I shouldn't be asked by the state what my religion is. It's not the state's business. So that, they said, is an invasion of privacy. And two, they said the state has no compelling interest to look into this. Why is the state bothered if one person, one individual person is converting from one religion to the other? So where there is force or fraud, of course, the state, like the Supreme Court has said, has a legitimate interest to step in. But if it's one conversion and the person's doing it out of his own free will, then the state has no compelling state interest. It's a benchmark that the High Court took in and said the state has no interest, no business getting into this. So um, it violates your right to privacy. And two, of course, you know, the design, the unintended consequence of asking uh, for prior permission is that it makes conversion more difficult. So it gives equal time for a mob to mobilize and attack, stop or, you know, do anything else in this case. So the court also, interestingly, pointed this out, that if the state's interest is to uphold public order, then by asking for this prior permission and, you know, putting this 30-day window, 60-day window, you're actually giving chance for the mob or any other anti-social element to act and you're actually disturbing public order. So the court actually went a step ahead and said, you are doing the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. And so similarly, if we were to look at the new laws, they do make religious conversions harder for individuals. That is one thing that is common between all of them, that one needs prior permission of the state before converting. For both MP and UP, one needs to give a 60-day prior notice to the district magistrate. And for Himachal, a 30-day prior notice is needed. But apart from that, there are other similarities too. The new thing in all these three laws, the other new thing is also that they want to essentially outlaw conversions that happen before a marriage or like basically for the sake of a marriage if either of the parties ask for it. And that's essentially what is being touted as the anti-love jihad provision in these laws. So any marriage that takes place 
and there is a conversion either before the marriage or right after the marriage can be declared void by a court if either of the parties ask for it in fact all these laws have a provision that is worded exactly the same saying that conversions for the sole purpose of marriage will be declared null and void now these laws are meant for all religions the apurva points out that they do not apply to a secular marriage that is if you get married under the special marriage act where neither the man or the woman are required to convert from one religion to the other then this law doesn't apply to them but even under the special marriage act you have a similar uh, you know give notice and wage provision so it doesn't really make much of a difference in that case so uh, to circumvent that give notice and wage provision is why couples choose to marry under religious laws so it's quicker it's safer for couples who are facing harassment from their family or um anybody else to convert from one religion to the other and then uh, sort of get married in a religious ceremony now we are clear that these laws aim to stop forceful conversion solely for the purpose of marriage but how do these laws determine whether someone is being forcefully converted or not the answer to this question differs from one law to the other Apurva talks about the UP law first. So, if you look at uh, the UP law, it is the most problematic thing that legal experts are pointing out that while it requires you to give notice to the district magistrate, then the district magistrate is supposed to conduct an inquiry where he has to satisfy himself of the intent of the parties or intent of the conversion, the person who is converting. as to why he wants to convert only if the district magistrate is satisfied that this is a legitimate conversion then you know permission will be granted by the state so uh, how does a district magistrate conduct this inquiry again the law says that um, it will be conducted through the police so uh, this will be a preliminary police investigation where intent is supposed to be ascertained of course this is quite problematic because police investigations cannot be the basis of granting permission or the police can't really look into your mind and ascertain why you want to convert so um this is really the problematic part while the mp and himachal uh, laws don't require the district magistrate to grant permission they only want a declaration of intent but only the up law says you want permission so the magistrate has to conduct an inquiry and then give you a chit that you can take to the religious organization and have your conversion ceremony performed and apart from how these laws determine whether someone has been forcefully converted or not there are other differences as well like who can investigate these cases on whom the burden of proof lies and who will be punished and what is the punishment for breaking these laws Apurva explains the investigation part first. So in MP the law is drafted in such a way that it seems like there is a safeguard inserted into the provision where it says that there can be no investigation except on the basis of a written complaint by the person who is converted or the person's parents or siblings or guardians who can obtain permission from the court and then file a complaint and it can only be investigated by a police officer who is not below the rank of a sub inspector so this is the safeguard in the mp law the himachal law also says that uh, prosecution cannot be initiated without the permission of the magistrate so this is anybody not below the rank of an sdm uh, a subdivisional magistrate but in the up law it allows people to file the complaint as usual 
but then there is a magisterial inquiry that's conducted through the police so here during the course of investigation it doesn't say which officer is supposed to be investigating like the mp law says that not below the rank of a sub inspector the up law has no such provision so this means that even your local constabulary to anybody can be looking into the issue the other part to consider is who will be punished for breaking the law and here apurva says that both mp and the himachal law place the burden of proof on the person who has converted since that person has not obtained the required permission but this is not the case for up if you look at the up law it goes further and it places this burden of proof on people who caused or facilitated this conversion and not on the individual who's actually converted so it could be say in the case of a marriage it won't be the person who's converted but the partner who is supposed to have caused the conversion so it shifts the burden of proof on the other party you know from the person who's converted to the other person the law assumes has caused the conversion in that sense the up law has been criticized because it delegitimizes the agency of the person who is converting them saying that they have consented is not enough these laws also differ in terms of what the punishment is going to be if you break them plus the up and mp laws also have different punishments for mass conversions as opposed to regular conversions a mass conversion is you know defined in the law as anything more than two three or more people getting converted at the same time so the up and mp laws have provisions for a mass conversion or for any other conversion broadly for individual conversions the punishment in all three states is minimum of 1 year jail term and a maximum of 5 years but again look at the mp law for mass conversion it actually goes from 5 years minimum 5 year sentence to 10 years same with the up law it goes from 3 years to 10 years all these states you're looking at a maximum sentence of 10 years depending on uh, you know the crime that is prescribed in the law the other important thing that apurva points out is that because of these new laws where you require prior permission of the state a marriage which could be legal in one state could not be legal in another and it depends on whether the state granted you permission or not so ideally if the conversion were to happen in a state which does not have a law that requires this like say for example uh, delhi then that's the only way you can go around getting prior permission from the state but of course for that you will have to have domicile requirements and other requirements that the law prescribes but if you are a resident of say any of these three states and you want to have the conversion and the marriage there then there is right now no other recourse that the person has dear listeners sorry for this interruption but before we move on to the rest of the show i just wanted your quick attention One of the big reasons people say they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there is perhaps no other place that does that better than Indian Express's explained section. We on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. If you're a regular reader of Indian Express, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. You can log on to indianexpress.com/explained and access the coverage 
explained by Indian Express, where news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now, back to the show. And next, we talk about the rather strange way in which VIP personnel are being deployed across the country. For this segment, our producer Joshua Thomas spoke to Deepti Mantewari. Here's Joshua. In this segment, I'll be speaking to Deepti Mantewari, who reports on government agencies and issues of corruption for the Indian Express. In a recent article of his, he illuminated certain aspects of the VIP culture in India. His findings are from the latest year-end report published by the Bureau of Police Research and Development, or BPRD. Now, this report contains various kinds of data pertaining to police organizations in the country. And they bring out this uh, report on police organizations every year as to what is the state of police organizations, how much vacancy is there, what is the sanction and actual strength of police personnel across the country in various states as well as in central police organizations. And basically, what are the facilities available with them? What are the policing techniques being used? All of those things. So in that, there is also a section on how many personnel are deployed for uh, VIP security and how many VIPs, which include ministers, MPs, bureaucrats, MLAs, all kinds of uh, important people from judiciary as well, uh, who are provided security by the state government or by the center. This is basically the report, and it says that uh, there are some uh, more than 19,000 VIPs who are protected by uh, more than 66,000 policemen across the country. And then there are data on various states, on which state provides how many security personnel and how many VIPs are protected in each state. So that's basically the report. Now, this data has shown some strange disparities regarding which VIPs of which state get security personnel. What Deeptiman has found is that states which suffer the most from insurgencies and violent attacks, such as Chhattisgarh or Jammu and Kashmir, less VIPs from these states are allotted security personnel overall in the country. Whereas states such as West Bengal, Punjab, Bihar, where arguably less VIPs would need security personnel, more VIPs are allotted security personnel. And the difference between states is in the thousands. So the data is quite revealing in that sense. The data shows that in states such as West Bengal, Punjab, Bihar, Haryana, and Jharkhand, you know, Highest number of VIPs are provided security by the police. Now, in West Bengal, more than 3,000 VIPs are under police protection. In Punjab, where the militancy ended somewhere in the late 80s, and we haven't had any significant insurgency or terror attack in decades, there, uh, you know, more than 2,500 people are protected. And come to think of it, it's a comparatively smaller state, just about 10 MPs to the parliament. Similarly, in Bihar, I mean, though Bihar has uh, decreased VIP protection by almost 50% compared to 2018, in 2019, there were more than 2,300 VIPs under protection. Now imagine in 2018, there were 4,600 VIPs under protection. 
Bihar also, we haven't had any major Naxal activity in Bihar for a long time now, which is largely limited to districts such as Gaya and Southern Bihar. So why are so many VIPs being given protection when there is no larger threat to public peace and order in that state? Now compare this to states such as Chhattisgarh. At one place where Bihar is providing protection to more than 2,300, Punjab is pro providing protection to more than 2,500 VIPs in West Bengal, which is providing protection to more than 3,000 people. Chhattisgarh, which regularly, year on year, records highest number of incidents of Naxal violence, scores of civilian security personnel get killed, there are IED blasts, like 2019, there were 77 IED blasts in the state. That state provides protection to only 315 people. Similarly, Odisha, which continues to see natural violence in the Malkangiri district, provides protection to only 48 VIPs. So obviously it appears that there are considerations beyond law and order and security, which command how many VIPs will get state's protection. Now, if we look at Jammu and Kashmir, which has been affected by insurgencies since the 90s and continues to suffer terror attacks and hordes of local young men join militancy every year, and we constantly see sarpanches being shot dead or public officials being shot dead, by militants. Just over 1,000 people are given police protection in that state. Another aspect of the data that Deeptiman mentioned to me was that there also seems to be a bias when it comes to states in the north of India versus the south of India. As it turns out, the least number of VIPs under police protection in any major states were Goa with only 32 VIPs, followed by Odisha with 48 VIPs, which Deeptiman had mentioned earlier, and Kerala with 57 VIPs. Deeptiman explains why this might be the case. The data also shows that more protection is provided to people in North India, states which are there in North India, compared to those in the Southern India. It flows from this hierarchical structure of the society and some sort of a baggage of the feudal system, where projection of power is seen through kind of police protection one enjoys. So it goes to show that basically these protections are being given for political reasons to probably keep those who are allied with you happy because it matters to them. Because in northern India, it matters to have police protection. It decides your social status as well. It completely exposes the VIP culture that is there in India, where you know the number of gunmen or the size of your cavalcade and convoy project your power. So that's basically the problem. And in the end, we talk about Boris Johnson. Yesterday, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson cancelled his Republic Day visit to India that was scheduled for later this month. 
a Downing Street spokesperson said that in light of the national lockdown announced last night and the speed at which the new coronavirus variant is spreading, the Prime Minister said that it was important for him to remain in the UK so he can focus on the domestic response to the virus. The Indian government confirmed this and said, quote, Boris Johnson called PM Modi and regretted that he would have to cancel his visit to India in the wake of coronavirus-related situation in the UK, unquote. Johnson would have been the sixth leader from the UK to be the chief guest at the Republic Day celebrations. The last British leader to be the chief guest was Prime Minister John Major in 1993. Britain has been among the countries worst hit by COVID-19, with the second highest death toll in Europe. On Monday, Johnson said the highly contagious new coronavirus variant first identified in Britain was spreading so fast that the National Health Service risked being overwhelmed within 21 days. You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, with help from Archita Raghu, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. If you like the show, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it, share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com. 